0: The Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the FLDS, is one of the largest fundamentalist sects of the Mormon Church. It's probably most well-known for its practice of polygamy, and second, for the abuses and demands set forth by its once and current leader, Warren Jeffs. In this episode, we explore the past and the present of this (coughs) cult and its maniacal leader. Welcome to Margs and Mayhem, where I tell you a true crime story and we drink. The following content may be disturbing to some. Discretion is advised. If you choose to enjoy one of our themed margaritas, make sure you are of legal drinking age and have fun, but drink responsibly. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you spent your holiday with lots of margaritas and not too much mayhem. Personally, I spent the entire vacation obsessing over the FLDS. It's not the first time I've spent a vacation obsessing over a cult, and frankly, not the first time I've Been a vacation obsessing over this cult. Uh, I've been fascinated with plural marriage for a very long time, and so I'm excited to share what I learned with you. Just a forewarning, the FLDS Church is super complicated. This could easily be its own podcast by itself, and I know there are some podcasts that cover the FLDS exclusively. So for today, I've distilled it as best as I could. And just a forewarning, I've removed lots of names. There's lots of names of key players, but I removed it to make it as easy to understand as possible, but first let's drink. I did try to make a red margarita, but I mean, it turned out a little purple, but I assure you the the red heart is there. You see, although alcohol is allowed in the FLDS church, yeah, I know it's a little bit strange, for a while at least, the color red was outlawed. So I've decided to go with a red rasmataz. It's ravishing, refreshing raspberry and it would offend the prophet himself. So for this drink, we went with one part tequila, one part simple syrup, one part triple sec, and two parts each of lime juice and rasmataz. It's basically been summer weather up until the last few days here in Texas, so I decided to go with a frozen drink. Of course, serve it on the rocks if you prefer. So I started by freezing the Rasmataz and the Triple Sec, which do have a low enough alcohol point to freeze. However, they didn't freeze very well. So for this drink, I did add a little bit of ice. Normally I don't like to do that because it waters it down, but eh, you gotta do what you gotta do. Everything went into the blender and was blended up nicely. Um, To balance the tartness of the raspberry, I actually did go for a sugar rim this time. And like a true FLDS member, let's drink up. Mm. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was founded in revivalist New York by Joseph Smith. As a 14-year-old, he goes into the forest, prays, pillar of light, blah, 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 and you have the first vision. He translates some gold plates into the Book of Mormon and the rest they say is history. Some skirmishes, battles, the murder of Joseph and his brother, and some other things later. You have, by 1869, about 80,000 LDS members living in the territory of Utah, Salt Lake City to be exact. And this is where things get a little bit split hairy, if you know what I mean. See, in order to become a part of the Union, the state of Utah decided to ban polygamy. It was against the law in the United States, and so they had to do that as well. And so therefore, the Mormon Church also decided to ban polygamy. When the LDS Church outlawed polygamy in order to comply with U.S. law, they also excommunicated any of their members who continued to practice plural marriage. But here's the thing. Polygamy had been a major tenet of the religion since the very beginning with Joseph Smith. And so there were all of these families that already existed, all of these plural families, a husband with many wives, if he was lucky, three wives. You see, three was the magic number when it came to wives that husbands were trying to get. According to the LDS, the biblical Abraham had three wives and in order to get to the highest level of heaven, which is the celestial kingdom, you also had to have three wives. If you didn't, you would be doomed to a lower level of heaven and your current wives would either be concubines or servants in the afterworld. And interestingly, they might've been a little bit incorrect with their interpretation of Abraham and his three wives. Abraham was involved with three women, Sarah, Hagar and Keturah. Sarah was Abraham's first wife. When Sarah died, Abraham married Keturah. And throughout all of that, he was having an affair with Hagar. So he didn't have three wives ever and he didn't have three wives at one time for sure. So even the justification of polygamy and LDS and these sects that were created afterwards is really inaccurate, but at the time there were all these families and what were they going to do? So they broke off throughout history. Over 150 different denominations have split from the Mormon church, mostly to justify and to keep polygamy. Our story today is about one of these splits, the FLDS church. They made their home in short Creek or the Crick as they called it, which was really made up of two cities. Hilldale, Utah, and Colorado City, Arizona. By the time of the 2000 Y2K situation, almost all of the FLDS church members had moved from various areas, mostly around Salt Lake City, to the Crick in order to prepare for the end of the world. More on that later. From the 1930s until 1953, sects like the FLDS church grew, larger and larger polygamous families more and more plural wives, until in 1953, the state of Arizona decided to raid Short Creek. The Arizona governor actually approved the raid, calling the polygamous families an insurrection designed to create, quote, white slaves, end quote. I mean, was he wrong? On July 26th, 1953, before dawn, members of the Arizona National Guard and state police entered Short Creek, and took all 400 of the residents, including 263 children, into custody. 150 of those children weren't returned to their families for over two years, and many of them were never returned to their families at all. What may have been filled with good intentions turned into a complete PR nightmare. Articles in Time Magazine and Newsweek showed images of children being ripped out of their parents' hands. It was a distinctly un-American act, according to most news reporters of the day. It even cost that Arizona governor his re-election bid. And though it sent polygamous families into hiding for most of the rest of the 20th century, it was an incredibly politically unpopular move. And so, really, polygamous families were largely left alone until the 1990s. Many, many children growing up in the FLDS church, even today, are told the story of the 1953 Raid in order to scare them about the Gentile outside world. During the last two decades of the 20th century, the FLDS church was under the leadership of Rulon Jeffs. Rulon was the prophet. In the FLDS church, the prophet is the voice of God, the literal mouthpiece of God. He hears the message from God and spreads it to his people. Rulon took over this position in 1986 after the death of his predecessor, uncle, they call all older men uncle, Leroy Johnson. Rulon had been raised in the traditional mainstream LDS church until his father introduced him to fundamentalist principles, which he gravitated towards. It's believed that Rulon had upwards of 75 wives in his lifetime. It was and is integral to the FLDS church that pain and suffering is to be endured. Life is not meant to be pleasant. Eternity is at stake. You must sacrifice and give and give and give knowing that in the afterlife, you'll have all of the riches of heaven. And a saying taught by Rulon was taken as gospel, keep sweet. A saying so prolific that he had it painted on the bottom of his shoes, shoes that his son would take on wearing after his death. Rulon once said, Keeping sweet, no matter what, is a matter of life or death as we approach the day of the great judgments that are to go over the earth. Let us get it and keep it. You don't turn it off and on. It must be a permanent thing in our very nature and a part of our character. End quote. To keep sweet means to hide or bury your real emotions. To keep sweet means you don't ask any questions when things seem wrong. To keep sweet means exactly that. Keep a smile on your face no matter what you're feeling on the inside. Keep sweet. Warren Steed Jeffs was born on December 3rd, 1955 to Rulon and his fourth wife, Marilyn Steed Jeffs. He was seen as a bit of a golden child, a special gift from God because he was born two months premature in 1955, I might add, and survived. It's alleged that he began to abuse children even when he was a child himself. Several of his sisters and cousins allege that he abused them when he was a teenager. He would later admit himself to being, quote, immoral, end quote, with a sister and one of his daughters. And even though he wasn't a prophet and his father wasn't the prophet yet either, these were not things that they talked about. Remember, we must just endure this life. It's but a stopping point life is to be endured. Warren graduated from high school in 1973, and pretty shortly after, when he was about 21 years old, he began as principal of the Alta Academy. This was a position his father had assigned to him as sort of a stopping point. At this point, Rulon was pretty high up in the FLDS church himself, though not yet prophet. The Alta Academy was a private school that would eventually serve all FLDS children, and he was principal there for over 20 years. As could be predicted, Warren was pretty strict. One, dress code. Nothing could be too revealing. He wouldn't even allow girls to have a V hem on their waistline of their prairie dresses. Wouldn't want anybody pointing anywhere, if you know what I mean. Hmm. They couldn't study astronauts, no such thing as dinosaurs, everything was related to the church. They studied church history and church doctrine. They learned just enough math for girls to read recipes and for boys to measure 2 by 4s You wouldn't want your population to be too educated now, would you? They didn't even really learn about current events. They probably couldn't tell you who the current president was when they were in school. Unless, of course, it was something that made the government look bad. They did all learn about the Waco siege, for example. You know, make them scared of the outside world, scared of the Gentiles. Hmm. The library didn't contain any books that weren't priesthood approved, so I'm guessing no Harry Potter, and even pop music wasn't to be spared. The Beatles had sold their soul to the devil in the form of a black record producer who had helped them become famous. I'm not even gonna get started on the rampant racism that exists within the FLDS church, but suffice it to say, it's terrible. Warren often told the children that laughter was, quote, light-minded, end quote, and was a quick way to get on the road to hell. Sounds like a really good time. And throughout his time as principal, Warren Jeffs continued to abuse children. Rulon, remember, became prophet in 1986. And for the next 12 years, Warren did everything he could to position himself to be the next prophet. Yeah, it wasn't too hard to do. Remember, he's the golden boy. But this was a strictly inward, like private things he was doing. Outwardly, he supported his father as prophet completely and fully. You see, Rulon had prophesied that he would live to be 150 years old and to usher his people into the next part of whatever. So in Warren's mind, he's supporting the prophet, but internally, mm, he's looking to take over. And in 1998, he gets his shot. Rulon suffers from a pretty debilitating stroke, and now it's Warren's time to shine. I laughed out loud when I read this, and maybe it's not appropriate, but someone likened the relationship of Warren and Rulon after his stroke to Weekend at Bernie's. I guess Rulon was a little bit warmer at the time, but still. They didn't allow Rulon to speak in private or in public. Anytime he would start, they would just turn off his microphone so that no one could hear him. Wouldn't want the stroke riddled brain to start telling the truth. Am I right? Hmm. Rulon continues to decline and Warren is quietly in behind the scenes stepping up. It's 1999, and some of you might remember the whole Y2K situation and the end of the world. Well, Warren really capitalized on this. He insisted that everyone in the FLDS church sell all their property. They were living elsewhere outside of the Crick, and move to Short Creek, give all of their money to the church, and they would be taken care of in the Crick, I guess, until they were whisked away at the end of the world in 1999, 2000. I don't know. The end of the world trope is a bit overdone, don't you think, Warren? Hmm, and surprise, surprise, on January 1st, 2000, the FLDS members woke up to a regular ass day, all 10,000 of them. On January 8th, 2002, Rulon Jeffs dies. Over 5,000 people attend his funeral. And if you remember, he had prophesied that he was going to live to be 150. These members were literally expecting him to pop out, out of the coffin, alive. So that's a problem. Warren's got to keep those believers believing. So he claims that Rulon is, quote, in the next room, end quote, and just talking to Warren. So now we have God talking to Rulon, who is talking to Warren. So I don't know. It's... Little bit confusing but you got a prophet's prophet now? Not sure. For a while Warren continues this charade that he's got a direct line of communication through Rulon but he ends up using one of Rulon's favorite wives and one of his own brothers to say that Rulon had once said that Warren was going to be the next prophet. This helped to solidify his power in the eyes of the FLDS church members. He combined this with another power move specifically relating to Rulon's wives in the FLDS church. Every time a man marries a woman, that woman becomes mother to all of that man's children, no matter how old they are. This can lead to some real awkward situations where the mother can be much younger than the adult children of her husband. Regardless, she is their mother. They even refer to her as mother. They might call her Mother Bonnie, for example, even if they're half this person's age. And in FLDS church policy, it is expressly forbidden for sons to marry their mothers, no matter what the circumstance. But that didn't stop Warren from systematically marrying every single one of Rulon's wives as a power move to assert that he was the new prophet. Also, in some cases, this was a real move of control. You see, Rulon's wives had a lot of information. They had a lot of knowledge. They were in the inner circle. And by marrying Rulon's wives, Warren was not only ensuring that he would be seen as the prophet. He was keeping control of these women that had a lot of information. That's not all that Warren did. Under Warren Jeff's prophetship, I don't know what you call it, things in the FLDS church became stricter and a lot less fun. He outlawed the color red. People could not wear the color red. He outlawed music. He outlawed dancing. He outlawed anything fun, (laughs) to be honest. What became donating to the church became tithing. What became tithing was handing over every dime that you made and Warren would redistribute the funds as he saw fit. And he saw to put a lot of that in his own pocket. Brides became younger and younger. And he made the decision that only he could decide who was to marry whom. And he married off girls as young as 12 years old. Since the FLDS church doesn't proselytize and for a while at least it's been considered a closed religion, meaning they don't accept new members, the mandate to be fruitful and multiply becomes increasingly important. And now for a genetics break. Let's talk fumarase deficiency, shall we? Children who have it lack a part of their brain. They can't sit or stand without help and they often suffer from seizures. Their IQ is around 25. For comparison's sake, someone with an intellectual disability is anyone with an IQ lower than 70. Someone with an IQ of 25 is somewhere around severe intellectual disability. Does anyone remember a previous episode where we talked about consanguinity? Consanguinity is the marriage of people who are second cousins are closer ding 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 elizabeth battery everybody and if you don't remember consanguinity leads to lots of genetic problems both physical and mental and it turns out that almost everyone in the flds church is related two such families in the flds church the barlows and Jessups both carry the recessive gene for fumarase deficiency. So when you have all these first cousins marrying each other, it's a recipe for genetic disaster. Let's be honest, the children in the FLDS church really don't stand a chance. Speaking of not standing a chance, in a society where typically you have about 50% female people being born and 50% male, well, you need a lot of women to marry the husbands, you're gonna have an excess of boys. One way that Warren dealt with the excess of boys is to literally excommunicate them for any sort of minor infraction they might do as a teenager. The alternative is total excommunication of the entire family. So these frightened, eternity-minded family members literally drove their children off into the desert with nothing and no education and no skills. Some people refer to this generation as lost boys. So in addition to banishing music, dancing, the color red and male children, he also got rid of toys, seeing friends and even going outside at one time or another. Oh, he also banished marriages in general and for a time, Sex sounds like a really fun religion, I gotta say. Fun fact: although the Mormon Church shuns vices like caffeine and alcohol, the FLDS Church does no such thing. In fact, it's alleged that Rulon Jeffs might have been an alcoholic. Sometimes girls have their first drink on their wedding nights, no matter what their age is. I gotta say, if I was in the FLDS Church, I would—I'd need to drink a lot. So, um, cheers. Sometime in 2003, people started disappearing in the middle of the night from Short Creek. No one in Short Creek knew where they were going. Turns out that Warren had actually authorized the purchase of 1,700 acres of land about 1,100 miles from the creek in El Dorado, Texas, of all places known as the YFZ, or Yearning for Zion Ranch. It's believed that Jeffs chose Texas because, at the time, the age of marriage consent was 14. Suddenly, in 2003, Warren Jeffs preached in Short Creek, announcing that everyone that still remained there had the priesthood stripped away from them, no matter how good they'd been and how much they'd done for the church. Essentially, their heavenly reward was gone. He did, however, say they needed to stay and to continue paying their tithes directly to Warren Jeffs himself. Nice guy, that Warren Jeffs. More on the YFC ranch a little bit later, that would be Warren Jeffs' downfall. Eh, ish. But first, we gotta go to Arizona. Shortly after announcing the devastating removal of the priesthood, Warren Jeffs took one of his favorite wives and went on the run. Naomi was the name of that wife, and she'd happened to also be one of Rulon's wives when he was alive, and so de facto Warren's mother. You see, many of these women that had been abused for their entire lives by the FLDS church and married off, some many before the age of 18, had had enough and had escaped. And not only had Warren arranged their marriages to full grown men, He had often counseled these men in how to control their wives and these women in how to be controlled. He was, in essence, an accessory to rape. He'd done much more than that, but at this point, that was what they could prove because that was who they had that could testify. So he ends up on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, right up there with Osama bin Laden. While he's on the run, he receives envelopes with letters and monetary gifts from his people. He opened the envelopes just enough to take the cash out. He didn't even read the letters from his faithful followers. He rented a red vehicle, note the irony. He went to Disneyland, he went to the beach, he went to strip clubs. While his people suffered, he partied until he got pulled over in august of 2006 the red vehicle was pulled over on an unrelated incident inside was warren one of his brothers and that wife naomi the officer didn't recognize him at first but then he noticed he looked a little bit nervous he was shoveling salad into his mouth aggressively and the artery on the side of his neck was throbbing. So the officer went and looked him up and he discovered who he was. Thanks to the bravery of several ex FLDS women who agreed to testify against him even when he was sitting in the courtroom, Warren Jeffs was found guilty of accessory to rape on September 25th, 2007, and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. All right, all done. Forever. Great. Drink up. But wait, Jessica, what about that YFZ ranch? You said we were going back there. Yeah, yeah, we are. In April of 2008, a sexual abuse hotline received a call from someone claiming to be living on the YFZ ranch. They said they were 16 years old, have been forced to get married and were either pregnant or already had a baby. The details don't really matter because the call turned out to be fake, but because it seemed credible enough at the time, authorities raided the YFC ranch between April 4th and April 7th, 2008. When they arrived, authorities were totally unprepared for what they would find. When the land had been purchased by one of Warren Jeff's dudes, They had claimed that it was going to be used for a hunting ranch, but I guess it was being used for some different kind of hunting. They came upon a waste treatment facility, a grocery store, homes for 500 people and a giant stone temple. They also found a 29,000 square foot house that Warren was living in and 53 girls aged 14 to 17 31 of which were already pregnant or had at least one child. The evidence that would take down Warren Jeffs was found in that giant stone temple at the YFC Ranch. Authorities had to enter through two giant metal doors, and once they burst through, they were seeing the horrors within. Amongst all the other spaces, vaults, locked rooms, and desk drawers, they came upon an all-white room. Everything in the room was totally white. In the center of the room was a bed, just big enough for two people. And at the foot of the bed was a place that was clearly designed for other people to kneel at. This, as it turns out, was a space designed for ceremonial marriages a space for grown men to rape underage girls with witnesses who kneeled and watched. One of those grown men was Warren Jeffs himself. Warren Jeffs did a lot of bad things, but the one thing he did right was to be a meticulous record keeper. He wrote everything down and he had journals. Warren married a total of 78 women. 28 of those were girls aged 12 to 17. And there were audio recordings, including one of Warren's wedding night with his youngest bride, a 12 year old. In haunting footage, it's also discovered that he raped her in front of several of his other wives. So Texas took Warren Jeffs to trial. The state presented evidence, much of it, that was Warren's own documented evidence of what he had done. Several ex-FLDS members, women, testified, including one who wore a stunning dress in red. Warren Jeffs defended himself, if you can consider what he did defending himself. He spent a lot of time pontificating on religious persecution. And he actually spent the entire 30 minutes he was allotted in closing arguments in complete silence until he sat down at the very end and muttered, quote, I am at peace, end quote. Okay. On August 9th, 2011, Warren Jeffs was convicted on two counts of sexual assault of a child and was sentenced to life in prison. Okay, so Warren Jeffs, big piece of garbage, Gladys in jail. But the question I have is... Is the FLDS a cult? Now, cult comes from the Latin word cultus, which means to cultivate. Oh, that sounds nice. And religions such as Christianity, Judaism, they've been known as cults throughout history. So, okay, let's go by a different test. Let's see if the FLDS passes the destructive cult test. This has been outlined with characteristics designed by a Harvard professor of psychology named Robert Lifton. First, they must be led by an authoritarian and godlike figure who demands to be revered as such. Well, if that's not Warren Jeffs, I'm not sure who is. Second, the group must have some sort of indoctrination, sometimes called thought reform or mind control. Since the FLDS doesn't proselytize, I think it's safe to say that the thought reform begins from literal birth. Many, many ex-FLDS members have testified to this extreme thought reform or mind control. You know, it's not just practical reasons like lack of education and lack of funds that people don't leave the FLDS church. They believe their actual eternal fate rests in staying with the FLDS church. Not only is the outside world scary and ready to hurt them, their very salvation rests upon them keeping sweet and doing exactly what they're told. Lastly, there has to be some sort of exploitation of the members. I think you could look at the women of the FLDS church and just check that box off right away. But it's not just that. There is such rampant spiritual abuse in the FLDS religion. If you can even call it that the fact that someone can be excommunicated from the church, even though they've done everything right, because I don't know, they might be some sort of threat in the prophet's mind. is ridiculous. The fact that they give their very last dollar that they've earned to a man who can't even be bothered to read the letters that they write. I mean, that's exploitation to a T. So what do you think? I guess the big question here is, do you think the FLDS church is a cult? But there's a lot of other ones too. Do you think that Warren Jeffs actually believes the garbage that he's spewing? Or does he really know that he's faking it? What about those FLDS parents? How could they possibly both give their daughters up to predators and drive their sons off to the desert? Do you think they should be held responsible for what they've done and what they do? Why do you think so many of them haven't been? Warren Jeffs remains imprisoned near Palestine, Texas, where the soonest he'll be eligible for parole is in 2038, when he is 83 years old. Something tells me he's probably not going to get it, but uh, I'll do a follow-up episode in 17 years. Throughout his prison time, Warren Jeffs has attempted suicide at least once and had to be put in a medically induced coma once because he was refusing to eat. But there is much evidence that Warren Jeffs continues to rule the FLDS church from behind prison walls. He sends out letters written in code to his most trusted wives, and it's believed that he is recording orders and sermons on microphones hidden in pens and other devices brought in by his brothers. He still controls the day-to-day operations of the church, including who marries whom. There is at least one other alleged compound in the Black Hills of South Dakota. The Alta Academy was demolished in 2014, and in the same year, Texas authorities seized the YFC ranch after Warren and nine other men were tried and convicted of bigamy, which is the legal term for polygamy and sex crimes committed at the YFC ranch. It sold in 2019 to a Dallas area company that plans to use it for military and police training, probably adding insults and injury to Warren. Seven members of the FLDS church did die while the group was inhabiting the YFC ranch and the county paid to have their bodies moved and buried at the location of the family's choice. In May of 2020, Utah became the first state in the United States to decriminalize plural marriage, making it punishable in the same way a traffic violation would be. Before we go today, I want to give my heartfelt thanks to Elisa Wall, Rebecca Musser, and Rachel Jeffs. Though I don't mention them by name in the story, I pulled much of the timeline of the FLDS Church, the beliefs, and what happened from their three memoirs. Elisa and Rachel are sisters and went through hell and fire in order to be able to tell their story. And they are a big reason why Warren Jeffs is in prison for the rest of his life. Rachel Jeffs is... A survivor in her own right as Warren's daughter. All three of them have dedicated their lives to speaking out and helping members of the FLDS Church and I wish them well. Thanks for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoy all the new changes that I'm trying with Marks and Mayhem including the new theme song and putting the show intro after the episode intro. Let me know what you think. I am so grateful for the time I had off in December. I did a lot of logistical planning and working on the podcast. And so I have some really fun things planned for 2022 and some great cases. Some that are well known, of course, but I tried to delve into ones that you might not be hearing on other podcasts and on other YouTube channels. So spread the word. I'm on TikTok, Facebook and Instagram and um, just ask the people that I gave prize packs to. I bribe. Next week, we had to my state of residence, Texas, for a crime committed by such a beloved member of the community that once it happened, the community rallied behind the criminal. A grapefruit margarita awaits us, and if you didn't know already, I put all the ingredients for next week's margarita in the description box so be sure to check it out before you make your liquor store run this week. I'll see you next week and remember there are always alternatives to murder and ruining the lives of 10,000 people for your own personal gain.